You are listening to Problematic Radio. I'm chilled. Back in high school, when I first started thinking a little more seriously about politics, political ideas, political philosophy, all the questions that really animated me, that really kind of like lit up that part of my brain that would, for the next several decades, be into this stuff, it was all related to the question of my right to myself. What are the limits to what we can do with our own body, our own life? You know, if we're not hurting anybody else, what can the government, what can other people tell us what we can do with ourselves? This is a question that has animated a lot of us because it hits so many different things. You know, it's drinking, smoking, drugs, the draft into the US military, abortion, gay rights. Back in high school, for me, that was the early 2000s. You know, that was certainly the kind of stuff we were talking about. But for a handful of years now, since the advent probably of CRISPR, which is a gene editing tool that kind of threw the entire topic of genetic engineering to the forefront of culture. I've been thinking a lot about the question of our right to ourself in that context, in the context of gene editing, gene therapies. If you can develop a drug that knocks out the gene responsible for inhibiting muscle growth, for example, it's not FDA approved, but it's your body. Can you inject yourself with this drug? And now here's the context in which the question really blows up. But what about medicine? If a patient is terminally ill, you know, we've grappled with the question of whether or not a doctor should be allowed to assist that patient's suicide. This is something a huge majority of Americans and most people in the medical community support. But why on the topic of whether or not a terminal patient should be allowed to experiment with his own life and try some novel drug without bureaucratic approval, you know, suddenly we're not so sure. People are afraid of me in general being associated with them. Dr. Josiah Zayner started biohacking during his PhD in molecular biophysics at the University of Chicago. And that is where he created something called the chromochord in his apartment. This is the world's first musical instrument that uses engineered protein nanotechnology. After his PhD, he received a fellowship to work with NASA. Specifically, he worked on engineering bacteria to help terraform Mars. And today he's the founder and CEO of the Odin, a company teaching people how to do genetic engineering at home. Besides starring in the recent Netflix documentary on natural selection, his work has been featured in the New York Times, Time, Scientific American, and NPR, among many others. He tweets at 4LoveOfScience, number 4, L-O-V, of science. He is just a really smart guy working on really cool stuff, and he has been on the frontier of this from the beginning. I reached out to ask about this moral question, you know, do we have a right to our own self in the context of genetic engineering, you know, unregulated gene therapies, and also medicine? We also talked about the value of life. We talked about CRISPR babies and what even is a bioethicist? Who are these people? And are we not all capable of thinking through these questions ourselves? From Nation Factory in San Francisco, I'm Mike Solana, and this is Problematic. Years ago now, I read about some of your work in the biohacking community and just about biohacking in general when that was still like pretty nascent. And I mean, now it's like it's kind of like buzzy thing and everybody's talking about biohackers. But I remember reading this article and just having my mind blown by the sorts of stuff that you were doing. One thing in particular, I mean, there were many things that you guys were doing. The thing that struck me as just really fascinating and really electric and really forbidden was this idea of like being in control of your own body like yeah doing are, experiments on yourself can or... you like what is the line there and and clearly you know for forever at least in my life it's it's like peer review and clinical trials and all this stuff. there's like all this process and bureaucracy but when it comes to your own body the question just kind of like 
I couldn't let it go. It's like, what if I just yeah, wanted to experiment with myself? Have? Yeah, am I what allowed to? What rights do we have regarding our own body? Which is like, I think one of the fundamental questions, not just of science and medicine, but of society in general, right? Like, what rights do we have regarding our own body? Now, you know, I've done a lot of self-experimentation um, because unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, but I can't experiment on other humans. I'm not allowed to, even if they, you know, that sounds crazy, but even if they consent, even if they give, um, if, if they are completely informed, are, you know, PhDs that completely understand everything about the science and medicine that's going on, um, they're not allowed to let me do experiments or test drugs with them. That's pretty crazy. And I think that comes down to this idea that we think we have body autonomy, but we don't. And then you start to think that's really fucked up. The government controls what you can do to your body right? in a lot of ways. We're not just talking like you can't put illicit substances into your body. We're talking like if you're dying of cancer and you want a medical doctor to help you try a cutting edge treatment, you cannot do that. There is no way legally to do that in the United States. Now, what about, so I think that that has been always true. I don't know the particulars of the law now, but under the recent administration, the FDA has started, what is it, the uh, the right to try? Right to try. So what is that? What is yeah, that? No, people think, so there's a couple. There's expanded access and there's right to try. Expanded access, you have to go through the FDA still and they have to approve the drug or, or, or something like that. Um, it's generally a drug that has to be in clinical trials already. I think expanded access has to be a little further along. But still, it has to be a drug that a medical doctor says can help treat your illness. Um, it has to be approved by the FDA, and the drug company has to give it to you to allow you to use it. It has to be manufactured. The drug company can still charge you for it. Right to try, drug still has to be in clinical trials. It has to be in or through phase one clinical trials. So already tested for you know some amount of safety. And um, these things really limit. So number one, like most drug companies, they don't want to give out these drugs. If I give you a drug and you die because of an adverse reaction and adverse reactions, I think under expanded access have to be reported to the FDA, my stock is going to tank. So like, why would I do that? You know, why would I risk tanking my stock? Um, and so like, so what you're talking about, I mean, it sounds like we're just basically becoming much more risk averse because of these bureaucratic rules. Yeah, we're becoming super risk averse. We don't have, I think the main problem is we don't have proper risk reward analysis. And I know this sounds crazy, but like we have to place value on human life if we want to move forward in science and medicine. If somebody would say, would you sacrifice one human to save every human on the planet? We appreciate every human life, but I imagine every person logically would have to say yes. Well, one person <laughs> I don't is know. Worth it is worth, I, I would say if it's their choice, that sounds great to me. I don't think I'm trying to like throw somebody onto the fire for the rest of humanity. I wouldn't be comfortable making that choice for someone else, but I would be comfortable making that choice for really? myself. Why wouldn't you, you, you really would be like, 
all right, you know, fuck it. We're, all of humanity is going to get wiped out because we couldn't sacrifice this one person. I know. I've thought about this a lot. I mean, this is just one of those, those sort of like ancient philosophical questions, isn't it? Um, <laughs> really? You would, You don't think one life is worth like seven billion lives? I agree with your point that most people would agree that that's okay. Well, what's your what's your like counter argument? I think that, I mean, it's really super off the topic at hand, but um, I personally think that there is something, there has to be something worth saving about us. And the thing for me that is worth saving about, there are many things about humanity, but for me, one of the sort of like sacred things is individuality and uh, right to self, a person's right to his or her own life. I don't believe that we are a hive mind or like a, you know, a Borg mothership. I think that we are a bunch of people and it's hard. I mean, listen, <laughs> Thanos comes down to earth and is like, got his little glove on and he's going to snap his fingers and wipe out humanity. Unless I kill someone I've never been given. <laughs> That's never happened to me. I don't know what, what I would actually do in that situation, but I can say sitting here right now, thinking it through, I don't believe that, uh, that we'd come out of that still being, us but i also hate that question because i think it's designed it's designed in a way that is like forcing you to say sometimes it's important to kill people and i i just don't totally, know when that, think, that has I come up in life question is like how much is a human life worth because we can place value on a human life in some way if it was a choice between this person killing you or you killing that person, there's some value there. Or this person killing your loved ones or all your loved ones. Like, right, we're talking about like self-defense and... Whatever. But there's some sort of value you can place on it in some way. You can always find something to place value on it, right? And whatever that value is to you or to the government or to somebody else, we have to place a value on it. We try to avoid this question, right? That's why so many people die because we say, oh, if we just let this person die and I don't have to take responsibility for their death or for hurting them, then that's okay, right? And that's the idea that if there's no drugs to treat this person who has a terminal cancer, we just let them die. We don't give medical doctors the right to try risky treatments on them. Because we don't want anybody to have responsibility for their death. To me, that's, that's a cop-out. There comes a place where we have to take responsibility. You know, maybe that responsibility is to yourself or to the human race or to the person whose life you could possibly save. But there's got to be, you got to take responsibility for something. I think it's like... I agree, um, but maybe there just shouldn't be the kind of it, yes, you should take responsibility, but the punishments should not be so severe when you, yeah, try an experimental drug or something. Um, and I also just go back to the thing where you know, if I were dying of cancer and a doctor came over to me and was like, "You're going to die," you know, a hundred ninety nine point nine percent chance you're going to die. But here's this crazy thing, and it might kill you, and it might save you, and we don't know. That's a decision that I want to make for myself. I, yeah. I, and in, even if I, even if, even if it, it's like a fool's hope, and you know, it's almost certainly going to kill me. Well, at least then I can die ruling something out for the next guy. It's like it gives your death meaning in some sense. 
I just think people should be allowed to make that decision for themselves. Yeah, totally, right? We have this idea that people are too stupid or they can't make the correct decision. And so like, we don't give people that opportunity or choice because somebody's going to have to take responsibility for this thing. Um, I, I want to back up a little bit and talk just kind of more broadly about what is this biohacker movement? What do you guys stand for? Now you can't speak for everybody, but sort of what are the different schools of thought there as to what you know the biohackers even are? And what is your, your sort of role inside of it all? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> yeah, biohackers, you know, I kind of work within this realm of what people call like genetic biohackers. There are people who are working mostly with genetic engineering, genetics, genomics. It's a very decentralized group of people. So you have everything, everything from hucksters to people who are trying to be academic scientists without degrees, to people who are trying to save the world, to people who are just trying to have fun. You know, I'm not the one who's going to sit here and say this is the definition of a biohacker and this isn't the definition of the bio. Like, I could give a shit. The only thing I care about is personally is just doing shit, you know, teaching people stuff so that society can progress. Right. You can imagine if we doubled or tripled the number of genetic engineers like fuck. That's one of my big things right now. And it's a thing with. uh this whole coronavirus stuff, I wrote up a like article that I'll put online soon. And it's me trying to estimate how many scientists there actually are in the world doing hands-on research. And the number is really small. It's like a million people or something like that in the world doing hands-on biomedical research. Why do you think that number is so small? Because it's such an elitist thing, right? People want, and most of those people, you know, are people with like, bachelor's degrees or, or, or things like that. There are people with PhDs who are actively employed in the U.S. in biomedical research is something like 100,000. You have to think that there, according to the WHO, there's like 30,000 diseases that they have classifications for. There's 7,000 rare diseases alone. What is that? Like two or three people per disease or something? <laughs> That's crazy. But I mean, how much of this is is a fault of the system and how much of it is the fault of there's just like not money for it? I mean, no, it's not that there's not money, right? There is a ton of money. A lot of it's just wasteful. And we could go on and on, like when I worked at NASA and how fucked up the grant and money system is, we bought like $500,000 worth of equipment that during my time there, the two years I was there, each piece of equipment was used once. And you're just like, what the shit? Why did we buy this equipment? And it's because, you know, use it or lose it grants and people just wasting money. There's so much waste in science, like so much monetary waste. And they pay people like shit on top of it. There's not a good model for doing science in the system right now. And that's one of the reasons that I'm trying to get people to do science out of the system. I mean, you're a pretty polarizing figure these days in uh, the biology circles. I wish I wasn't. Fuck, man. <laughs> Will people just leave me alone? Like, seriously. Um, this... You know, here's what's crazy is like when I write something and I put it online and then people freak out, I'm like, I wasn't even trying to get people to freak out. I was just putting my opinion. And when your opinion, just your straight up opinion, gets people to freak out, it makes you really start to question things because you're just like, I can't even state my opinion online. 
without people having a fit. That's just crazy. No, uh, I don't know where it comes from. I think people, this is like a larger question than the biology question or, you know, the Josiah Zayner question. I think it's like, what is it about people online getting angry at other people who they perceive as having, you know, power or influence with opinions? It's like, I don't know, they feel powerless or something and they want to attack. It's it's hard to fully get inside their heads. I think I think with you, you're I mean, there there are certain scientific sort of like consensus truths that you're definitely butting up against. Chief among them, I mean, you're talking about getting people out of the system to work on things and to experiment on things that seems dangerous to people, unsafe to people. Uh, we already talked about how risk averse people are in general. I think this probably started with you maybe like very publicly injecting yourself with a therapeutic, which then brings us to today. I mean, we were just talking a moment ago, and I want to get into it now. Your piece in defense of the guy in China who experimented over the germline. Yeah, so there's a scientist, Dr. He Kui, who used this cutting-edge genetic engineering technology, CRISPR, to edit the embryos of babies to make them HIV-resistant. He did it without consensus among the scientific community that this was okay. He received huge backlash from the scientific world, even though, as far as we know, nothing negative happened to these embryos or children. And um, most likely nothing negative will have happened to them. Uh, but China isn't saying much about them. And for good good reason. You wanna, you don't want the identity of these children to be public because nobody should be subjected to that. Anyway, China eventually put him in jail for three years after they decided that he maybe forged some documents and went around the proper channels than he should have. I mean, that's what they're um, saying. Didn't they, they funded this themselves? Didn't the government fund his, his research? I mean, he worked for, you know, a school there and uh, he ran some companies. I mean, directly or indirectly, he got money from the government. The government not knowing what he was working on, it's possible, I guess. But there were so many people involved, and he emailed so many people to talk about this research, and like yeah. so many people were informed about it. I have a hard time believing that you know everybody didn't know. All, all these emails came out. He emailed like every famous scientist in the U.S. and the world about it. It seems like this that the people scientists in the West are much more weird about this entire topic. Um, and they're slow to it. And just in, like genetic engineering in general, we have some weird hangups about it. And I don't think that the Chinese, they like to save face, the Chinese government, people really came down hard on this guy and they had to look like they were doing something is, is what I think happened. And they just, yeah, oh, they totally. just sacrificial I lamb. I totally agree. It's not people. If you look at the surveys that have been done by like Nature Magazine, you know, scientific publication and Science Magazine, scientific publication and something like, 65% of people or greater approve of using genetic editing to like treat a disease or make somebody resistant to a disease or something like that. It's only like 20% of people who are against it. There's 
uh, a majority of people who are for this type of thing, it's mostly just scientists and bioethicists who are against it. I love this idea of the bioethicists. Like, what the fuck is a bioethicist? I don't know, man. Like, what That's is that? That's question do, I've do, been do, like, to figure I out. I do not understand who these people are who call themselves bioethicists. We're all ethical people, and many biologists, I mean, every biologist has a background in biology. Isn't every person with a biology background, aren't they also bioethicists? Aren't you a bioethicist? I, I don't understand oh, yeah, the distinction no, here. I, a bioethicist is somebody that the media decides to call a bioethicist. That's it. And it's really sad because it's usually people who have never had to practice. I have had people who have had terminal illnesses come to me and say, hey, can you help me out? I need help. I'm dying. And I have to sit there and I have to think, well, if I help this person, I could wind up in jail. You know, I've already been investigated by the California Medical Board for practicing medicine without a license. I was exonerated, but I could be arrested for this shit. So I have to make this decision. Do I help this person and potentially go to jail or do I let them die and do nothing? That's the decision I have to make. And that's a very shitty decision to go to jail or try to save a life. And these people don't have to make that decision. So all their ethics bullshit is just based on an idea in their mind, not an actual situation that you have to live through. Like you said, with, you know, killing the person to save the whole. Right. You don't know what you're going to do no. until you're in that decision. Yeah. So you're in that position. And like, it's easy I've to been have in that position multiple yep. times. It's easy and, to have this philosophy until there's a gun to your head. And then I guess you figure out what you really believe in. Yeah, I should go to hell because I've let so many people die without even trying to help them. And I feel terrible as a human being because of this. But it's like, that's the life I have to live. And these people don't. And they're trying to tell me what to do. What is it about the CRISPR stuff specifically? Because um, the Chinese doctor who created this sort of, you know, quote, CRISPR babies, that was a drama that was kind of nested in a larger conversation. There was something about germline engineering that felt new and like really scary. What was going on with all that? Yeah, it's the first time anybody ever edited a human embryo and let it come to term. Is it because the tools were new or what is the reason? No, no it's not because the tools were new or anything like that. Why did it take it's so something, long? People were editing embryos before that, but there's like certain guidelines that you can't let an embryo live past like two weeks, slightly less than two weeks. There have been a lot of experiments on embryos human embryos up to that point, just none, none of them were ever implanted and brought to term. The reason it took so long is just because nobody would fucking be willing to do it. And it just took somebody who was just like, fuck it. You know, we have all the tools and technology to do this. I'm just going to do it. And uh, he did it. <laughs> now tell me about your piece. What, what exactly did you write? And uh, what was the reaction? Yeah, so when the judge in China decided that he should go to jail for three years or something like that, I wrote a piece about how he's going to jail for perhaps falsifying some documents or other things, but he didn't harm anybody. So these children are most likely going to grow up just fine. They're not going to have any genetic defects. They're certainly not going to have like HIV. <laughs> Like, what are we villainizing this person for? Once public outrage fades, nobody cares anymore. Like, I'm not mad at Nixon or I'm not mad about the Vietnam War, at least not like maybe the way I should be, because I didn't really live through that shit. Like that anger faded. 
it faded out of our society. And now those things are just like history. I'm not mad about George, but like, I don't even really, you know, I wasn't paying attention to politics much back then. And like, so I don't have this anger towards people like George Bush or something like that, because it's just history to me. It's not like this personal experience. And once this thing becomes history and not a personal experience, people are going to be like, wait a second, why was this guy put in jail? Like, what did he do? He, he didn't hurt anybody. He didn't really do anything wrong. He was the first person to edit humans. Like, huh, nobody's pissed at all these scientists who've been arrested or have done things that have broken the social consensus or something like that. It's because the social consensus changes, right? In a year, in two years, in five years, you know, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, when they ran in 2008, they were not for gay marriage, right? Right, And nobody's pissed about that, right? Like Hillary Clinton didn't start supporting gay marriage until like 2012. Yeah, she waited until it was popular with 51% of Americans, and then she came out in favor. Exactly. And it's like because social consensus changes, like the anger fades. People don't recognize that that in like 20 years 10 years five years we're going to view all these things completely differently we're going to have a completely different point of view and a completely different social consensus instead of just like unleashing our anger we should think about how we're going to move forward because it's going to happen like we know how to do it this guy laid out the groundwork for genetically engineering humans if you want to you can just follow exactly what he did bring it forward. Like it's going to happen again. I think people have this idea in their head that it's going to be this whole like chimera revolution where we're creating, you know, half monkey, half birds and people with horns and like lizard (laughs) tails. Right. So this is the thing. This is why people can't stand you is because you're, you're, they see you as the guy who stands for all of their darkest fears. And I think I think, I mean, let's explore that. I mean, that is the mad scientist creating, you know, these freaks in his laboratory. That's really scary to people. Yeah, no, like, here's the biggest thing is everybody's like, oh, eugenics, Nazi, Hitler. That's like the most common one. And I'm just like, all right. So we are, by genetically modifying humans, increasing the genetic diversity, not decreasing, right? We're increasing the genetic diversity that people are allowed to experience. How is this going to cause eugenics in any way? This is going to go away from eugenics and more towards people being able to individually express themselves based on genetics. Well, we're not talking about individuals expressing themselves anymore. We're talking about parents making decisions for their kids or even not their parents at all. We're talking about scientists creating babies in a lab. So that baby, the new sort of chimera baby, um, they're not making any decisions at all. It's They're being made for them. Well, number one, you know, you can do genetic modification as an adult. But if we're just talking about embryos, we already make all these choices, right? If you do IVF, you do pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. So you screen the embryos and you get to choose which embryos you want to implant. You are selecting for genetic traits. A child, you know, I have a daughter. She's two years old now. She literally cannot do anything herself. Yeah, she can take off her shirt and like eat food and stuff like that. But like she eats whatever I give her. She does whatever I tell her to do. She has no choice in anything. Parents are already making all these choices. They're telling their kids how they're going to be, how they're going to develop, what they're going to, you know, what their likes and dislikes are going to be. 
And I don't see people making genetic choices for their kids any more drastic than what's going on already right now. And we already make these choices, like I said, through pre-implantation genetic diagnosis or selecting a mate or whatever. Right. I think it's like there's this strange line somewhere that we all kind of feel but don't know how to enunciate. If it's a genetic tweak that I myself wish that I had, for example, immunity to HIV or I have one eye that doesn't work as well as the other personally, like if I could have that fixed, that seems great. But if it's something more drastic, like a different kind of metabolism or butterfly wings or some shit, like I don't. Yeah, so here's the question. I don't right? know. Like, like what's the disease? If we say a person is, you know, born as an adult, they'll be two feet or three feet or one meter in height. Most people would say that's abnormal. That could be called a disease. And so we should be able to treat that in some way. And there are, you can get surgeries and stuff done to try to increase your height or to help with abnormal formation. But then you're like, all right, well, what about like three and a half feet? Maybe what about four feet? Mm -hmm. Eh, What about like (laughs) four and a half feet? And right, so there's this like blurry line between what might be a disease and what might not be a disease. And I think you can never make that decision. So I personally just think, look, you're going to be trying to fight this battle that's not winnable. Instead of trying to answer these questions of like, what's a disease and what's not a disease, we should be answering the questions that are really important. Like, how do we bring this stuff to everybody? If you think about pre-implantation genetic diagnosis or genetic testing for children, This costs money. Everybody doesn't have access to it. So what you're seeing is people who can afford it are starting to lower the disease in that population. And people who can't afford it, those diseases are still propagating. So you're already starting to see a stratification of genetic diseases in populations that can't afford genetic testing. And it's just going to get worse if we can't figure out a way to bring these technologies to everybody. I've never been the person who's like, I want to fucking change the world because I, it's not a reasonable proposition. I think that the world is like this organism that changes and evolves and fights and battles and it has its own mind. Now, what I want to do is I want to be able to explore. I want to be able to do things I find cool and interesting. And and I think everybody wants that. You know, I want the world to be in a position where people can explore science if they want to, where people didn't have to work low-wage jobs for shit pay and be exhausted at the end of the day and not be able to contribute to society in the way they want to. If you look at this coronavirus thing right now, it's a perfect example. Everybody is like, oh man, I got an idea. Oh man, I got something. You know, I want to help with this coronavirus thing. And you're just like, fuck man. Like what if everybody could actually contribute? And it wasn't just some hypothetical that people are posting on Twitter. Like what if they actually could? Like that would be amazing. I want to live in a society like that. I think that would be the coolest. From Nation Factory in San Francisco, I'm Mike Solana and you are listening to Problematic. 